This is Adam Gorney from Rivals here with Jim Caval for the Respect My Decision podcast. He is the CEO of Influencer and business is booming, Jim. <laughs> NIL is off and running. And was this sort of the vision, what you expected it to happen this time last year? Or are you even surprised that really the adoption that this has taken on? You know, it's a good question. I think that I would be um, crazy to say that I, I knew everything was going to go down the way it has. Uh, you know, a lot of things have happened differently than I would have predicted a year ago. Um, I think, but from a bigger picture standpoint, um, you know, I, I thought NIL would evolve over time. I think it still has a lot of evolution that needs to take place for it to become as streamlined and, and I don't want to say easy, but as efficient as possible for athletes to really make the most of their um, And um, I think that, you know, schools have had to adopt uh, platforms and technologies to be the pipes for what they want to be able to uh, help their student athletes do and, and how they want to be able to monitor that. Uh, but I also think schools have to add uh, some manual resources and people uh, to keep that, that evolution going because student athletes need help. Yeah, that was sort of the discussion, you know, this time last year, maybe even longer than a year, that, you know, the help from whether this is from people within their organization, um, school-wise, or hiring people, or people from um, some departments within, you know, the, the school to help with that. What are some of the things that have caught you off guard, maybe surprised you a little bit at, at how it's either ramped up or hasn't ramped up or things that have taken off or haven't taken off those kinds of things? Well, I think number one, there are a lot of people moving in different directions that if they could be brought together into one unified strategy by the leader of the athletic department, um, there could be a much more efficient process for everybody to win. So whether it's your MMR who has relationships with corporate sponsors, your development office that has relationships with donors, um, your uh, revenue generation leader who has relationships with fans, um, all three of those groups, donors, fans, and businesses want to work with student athletes on NIL. They just don't know where to start. Um, and then on the other side, there's a lot of people that already have full-time jobs working in athletic departments who are being asked to make sure the students know about everything with NIL and it's being added to their existing plate. And they don't really have a lot of time to be able to educate student athletes, get them to download an app, get them to know about how to work with these different groups of people. And so adding new staff that can be responsible for that and having a strategy as an athletic director for all of these parties to know how through one system, through one strategy, they can work together with athletes. I think that's really important. And I didn't even mention licensing and, and yeah. getting them on the same page from a mark standpoint. Um, there's just a lot of moving parts. And unfortunately, there's two camps of athletic directors. There's one camp of athletic directors who are starting to do this. And it's going to help their school have more efficient NIL processes that allow student athletes to take advantage of the marks, that bring group licensing opportunities in that are easier for student athletes to process, that allow collectives to know what they can and can't do and how to do it, et cetera. And then there's another camp of athletic directors that are just deferring all this to associate ADs and assistant ADs. And while some of those folks are very capable um, of, of doing a lot, they need the buy-in from the leader of the athletic department, and they need him or her to understand how all this works to get the general 
following of the school, the fans, the donors, the business community to know this is how it's going to work. So you see the the first group as being the ones that are sort of at the forefront, the vision, the idea of having this together, right? I mean, that's the yeah. one that are going to win out here. I think so. Listen, I don't want to um, say that I, I I think every athletic director should be involved beyond strategy. Like I'm not saying they should be tactically involved. I understand if you're the AD of a big SEC or big 10 athletic department, you have immensely talented folks that are leaders on your team that you can defer to, but you still should know what's going on and you still should be really setting the tone for what the strategy is going to be helping the collectives know what they can and can't do and how they're going to do it. You should be setting that tone. Yeah. Not letting them come up with their own ways, going around you directly to athletes. And in some sense, uh, some cases, maybe even becoming more powerful than you because now they're driving 10, 15, $20 million to student athletes around you. And you're not even aware of what's going on beyond what's being disclosed. You have to, as an athletic director, set the strategy and tell collectives, this is how it works. This is how the athletic department's involved. This is how you can and can't do things. You have to do that with every group of people. You should be doing that with licensing, with your MMR, so that the business community and the marks are protected, but also empowered to be a part of this. You should be doing this with your student athletes. Now, I'm not talking about more than a few speeches and um, some really good PR, but the athletic director has to be more involved. And the schools who have proactive ADs, they are ahead of the pace. For the layperson that doesn't live in this world, like especially someone like you does, what you're saying is if the school has two collectives and this, you know, outside group, and I don't want to use the word fringe, but like a fringe group that is collecting money to put together to, to do this. And uh, you're saying bring all of these groups together into one cohesive unit to be able to direct NIL money in the ways that those collectives would want to. Is that kind of what you're saying? And that's it sort is. of how it would, would work. It is. And, 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 you know, this is where my candid bias comes in because yeah. we built the local exchange system, which is a school exchange to solve all these problems because the right. proactive athletic directors from our 220 schools, the segment of ADs that are very involved, asked for it. They said, we need a system that we can send every business, every fan, our collectives, all to this one system, this one place online. We want to market it on our Jumbotron. We want to market it in the signatures of every staff member's email. We want to market it with our players. We're going to give them wristbands to wear. We want to send everyone to a custom link, you know, for our athletic department. Think of it as our athleticsdepartment.com slash NIL. We're going to market that everywhere. We want you to build it and we want you to have a portal for them to go to where we can see if they register to work with our athletes. And then when they're ready to talk to them, want them to talk to them through the influencer app the athletes already use. We want to know those conversations are happening in a secure place and not some DM on Twitter or some random meetup that's not that's the solicitation. When they build a contract, we want the contracts to be built in a system that takes our policy in mind. So the contract provides the information we need to be able to show if anybody asks about these deals. We want to be able to show the value exchange of what the athlete's doing to get paid X by the collective, the fan the business. And then we want the athlete to have an easy way to do their taxes. We don't want them to have to find a 1099 from whoever pays them. We want it to all come from your system. Like that was asked for by many ADs before we said, you know what, we should build that and add it to our suite of software. 
And yeah. so, you know, and, and oh, by the way, they all said they were willing to pay for that system if it could avoid any fees being taken out of the transaction from the collective to the student athlete, from the business to the student athlete, to maximize the wallet share of what the student athlete is gonna make. Because quite frankly, in a lot of cases, student athletes aren't making that much money anyways. Let's maximize what they can get. So when we heard that, we built that. What I've seen is those proactive ADs now have a system where, you know, um, last month, Michigan had, uh, you know, hundreds of transactions that were reported through influencer and 84% of them were payments that came from influencer. So no disclosure had to manually be done by a student athlete. And that data is available for coaches to use in recruiting, for compliance to oversee and make sure it's within the rules for the athletes to use to do their taxes. I think that's really important. And, and, and you know what, to take my bias out of it, there's other systems that are doing this too. But the point is, is the system is the pipes. That's the tech. You still have to have people that can operate it. People that are going to educate the student athletes to use it, educate the business community and the collectives on how to use it. And that's, Another thing that athletic directors have to be proactive about, they have to hire staff that are going to operate this the same way they have a doctor for when the athlete gets hurt or a trainer for when the athlete needs to rehab or an academic advisor or tutor to help the athlete in the classroom. They need staff that can answer questions about contracts for athletes, that can answer questions about how to fulfill a contract, that can answer questions about how to do taxes because athletes don't have agents at this level and there is no players association. So there's nowhere to go when you have these questions and that's dangerous for these athletes. Sure. Sure. And with unintended consequences that they might not even be aware of um, being in their teenage years. This is, might be an impossible question. We're probably well over a year into this really ramping up. And uh, I, you know, I read the ESPN article where, you know, your transaction uh, dollar amount is up 51% in the first half of 2022, which means, Things are trending, you know, up and to the right, looking good in that sense. A year from now, where do you think this is? Do you think it's still where we are now? Do you think the government gets involved with some sort of parameters? Does the NCAA have more or less power? I'm just trying to play this game out and see where this goes from here. Where do you think? Yeah, so there's there's like uh, there's a few segments of things that have to happen on the on the NIL policy side we need regulatory uniformity, meaning we need one set of rules for all schools to adhere to, or at least all schools across a specific conference or division, which is a loaded thing to say, I'm not gonna go into it, but who knows what a division in a conference even is a year sure. from now, right? I'll stop there, I won't keep going on that point, but we need to have regulatory uniformity. The, the only way we'll probably have regulatory uniformity is if the government sets a national bill or if a conference, for instance, could get the 14 states in its conference to create uniform law across those states so those schools could have one set of conference rules, which talking to commissioners seems like it's a pretty big feat. So it's probably going to be a, a federal law. I think we're, we're more than a couple of years away from that. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, we got some serious things going on in our country right now. I don't think that's enough of a priority that it's going to happen in the next 24 months. The, the second part is, okay, if it's going to stay the way it is now, um, you've got uh, group licensing is, is, is not really happening like it could and should because there is no players association to organize athletes. There's a question of do you organize them per school? Do you organize them across one sport in one conference? Do you organize them nationally? How does that work? 
um, there's a lot of fragmentation. And, and um, I think that next year, I think we're a year out or so where that's going to start to get solved. You're going to have a nice March Madness tournament where all the players playing in March Madness can get a check just because they're in March Madness and they're able to participate in some stuff where they activate their social media, they do an appearance, whatever. And that's going to be fun because it's going to make NIL a little easier and more efficient for athletes. So I think that, that that's something that will happen over the next year that will be positive. Um, then you've got the, the stuff I mentioned and tried not to go into the loaded topic of realignment and overhauls of divisions and all that stuff. Well, athletes get paid. And if they get paid, or at least in certain sports, and if they get paid, will NIL even be as important? Because even right now, we are possibly at the peak of what it is like to be a student athlete. Think about it. You get a cost of attendance check, tax-free. You get an educator-related benefits check if you do decent in the classroom. And then you can do NIL. And oh, by the way, you can be a free agent every year because yeah. of the transfer portal. Pretty good situation. If athletes actually get into a situation where they, in some sports or at some levels, become employees, could actually backfire um, mm -hmm. because you know expenses could be passed to the athlete that aren't passed to them now, whether it's tuition. I'd even mention in all the benefits, they get free tuition, free yeah. gear, unlimited food, unlimited sneakers, unlimited cleats. That could go away. Oh, you get one pair of cleats and you have to pay for every extra pair. You get one strength trainer, you're going to share the cost for the other three strength trainers. You have to pay for your tuition. And so a lot of those things could play into NIL as well. And, and I know athletic departments are running those models. Should, you know, laws change? Uh, should their hand be forced and athletes become employees? So, you know, if that and also if that happens, uh, sports could be eliminated. Uh, schools in the SEC that have 18 sports will have less risk of having to eliminate sports. But schools like you know, a school in the ACC with 30 sports probably ain't going to have 30 sports or 12 of those 30 sports are going to become club sports. Yeah. So there's all this stuff going on. Um, and then the last thing with NIL, you think uh, a year or two down the road is just the question of collectives and how it all works because inducement is a serious topic that can be tracked, um, that will be continuously investigated and you've got to make sure that whether it's a transfer portal athlete or a, a high school athlete, they're not inducing. And then you got to make sure that there's a value exchange for the current student athletes that, that you can justify. And, and there's, there's great ways to do it. Appearances is a great example where you can pay an athlete to make an appearance. But there's also some promises up front that are probably being made in a way that could, could, could be regulated, especially from an inducement standpoint. And once it's regulated for the first time and enforced, then I think that the tune of collectives and what they can and can't do will, will be changed a little bit. I think they'll believe a little bit more of, of what these rules are. I know it's a loaded question, and this could be an entirely different podcast, but NIL and conference realignment, does it have any influence in it? Is it all the TV money? Or does it help or hurt the athlete that, there's only, that there could be only two conferences in three years? Well, I think it helps the athletes, obviously, that are playing in those conferences and playing football, men's and women's basketball, and it's going to help them because it's going to help them be exposed to a bigger audience with more social media growth and ultimately more brand value, especially if they're performing well. Um, I don't think it plays into it that much. I do think that, you know, th there is such an opportunity, I've always thought, to, as a conference, as a league, 
create some group opportunities across the league for all the athletes um, and, and defragment the schools and, and, you know, what each of their strategies are and what their state laws are and, and, and just say, you know what, as part of this new league, we're going to get all this TV money. We're going to have all these other benefits. You got to all agree to the same NIL policy. I'm sorry. You just do. And that's going to have to be your sacrifice. If you're in this state and got a looser law than this state, and then you're in this state, doesn't have a law at all. Sorry. You're all going to have to agree to a conference policy that has to take this more conservative state's law into consideration to protect those two schools. And that's how it's going to be. But it's going to allow us to do group things that are going to make it easier for all of our athletes to make money. It's going to make it easier for brands to activate across all of our athletes in some really creative ways. And that's worth it. And if, if I was a commissioner, I'd be thinking about that in this realignment strategy because it would allow you to kind of do what a pro league has done, but from scratch and maybe even create a better pie system where the athlete makes more money for every jersey sold. The athlete makes more money for every video game sold. And I think that could be really, really special in an athlete empowerment phase that we're in. So I don't know that it's playing into it as far as what schools are being included or pursued or whatever. But my my humble opinion is there's an opportunity with these conferences to do some really creative things and get everybody to have one policy across the league. Take me inside the NIL summit in Atlanta. And because I think the college football fan is starting to understand and comprehend NIL and what what it means, at least on a base level. But the creativity and what's going on behind the scenes in terms of NIL to even have a summit be be able to be put together. What did you think of it? And what what did you, what were kind of your takeaways from being down there? It was a dream come true. You know, um, we, we, we've been doing annual, we're, we're based in Birmingham. We've been doing annual conferences next door in Atlanta um, since the beginning of Influencer. It started very small, humble beginnings in 18. And then 19, we had um, Turner come up big and say, hey, we're gonna let you use Studio J where the NBA on TNT is shot to host your event. And we said, you know, let's, let's get some athletes there. And so we got a hundred of our schools to send staff. We asked them to send athletes, wouldn't do it, improper benefit. We said, we'll pay for it, improper benefit. We weren't allowed to bring them in. We were like, ah, oh, okay. We still had a great event. Um, we had, like I said, a hundred administrators there. And we talked about NIL in the last panel. And I'll never forget it because I won't say who was on it, but they all said it wasn't going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, so three years later, uh, COVID, we're coming off the back of it. We're able to host an event with our friends at Student Athlete NIL, Jason Belzer and that crew. And we partnered up, College Football Hall of Fame partnered with us. And we, we had 300 plus athletes in the room and it was just a dream come true because the athletes have not been included in the conversation enough, whether it's by the media, whether it's by the powers that be setting policies and, and rules, and they need to be included more. Let me tell you one thing, collectives never came up. Most athletes don't even know what they are. This was all about real NIL business building. And they were talking about, how do I use this to, to, to build the next phase of my life and find a career? How do I use this to, to go out and find opportunities um, for the company I want to build? I got this idea for a product. How do I, there's all these different questions. They just, some of them don't even know where to start. And some of them feel like their school could help more, but they can't get their school to engage because their school feels too much liability. There was just great topics being brought up. And when we did educate them on how to work with collectives and how 
this new part of NIL can be beneficial for them and how gr there's some great collectives out there. And here's what it looks like for an athlete to activate with them. They learned and they asked questions and it was just, um, it was just a great event. And I think, you know, unfortunately NIL has been written about with big numbers and big name athletes so much. And, you know, um, recently there was a, an article saying NIL is going to be bigger than a billion dollars next year according to this source. And, you know, there's been a lot of other people say NIL is a multi-billion dollar market. Well, you know what? If you take 500,000 student athletes and you multiply it times $4,000 a year of annual NIL revenue that each of them makes, it's a couple bill. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that all of them are making a bunch of money. And so the reality is, like most markets, there's a 1% that, that's going to be, you know, there's 100 athletes out of 500,000 that are going to earn six figures. You know, I said this to you last time, 10 athletes are earn seven figures. Yeah. Thousand athletes might earn five figures a year, but the rest are going to earn four figures. These are little business opportunities that they're now allowed to do. And some of it's too hard and too much work for they won't even want to do it at all. And so, you know, I think that's the part of NIL that needs to be written about, talked about more because it's the majority of what NIL is. Yeah, and I think that's a great point because the story of NIL now is guys have their hands out for money and they're looking for max deals and that's where they're going to go to school. And, yeah. and that is certainly true. I mean, there are definitely those things going on. But behind that is something like the summit where there are thousands of kids saying, here is an opportunity for me to get more exposure and make some money for an idea that I have for a business, for a product. How can I capitalize on this a little bit? So then I can make connections and network and all the things that essentially every college kid is trying to do that's smart um, and trying to make make a life for themselves. So I think that's definitely an interesting point. Um, and it's just sort of lost in, in the narrative that uh, everybody is the, the star quarterback trying to get millions of dollars and then we'll go to any school that's out there. Well, and, and think about this. There's the star quarterback who, who, who maybe gets a million dollars and who knows what numbers are real and what are fabricated. Yeah. That's another problem with NIL. And, you know, uh, the anonymity aspect is good because we should keep this information. This isn't information that should be FOIA'd and, and, and we're not giving out any information. We're pretty private with, with what's in our system. Um, but the other side of it is, you know, some guy can say that Texas A&M paid their athletes $32 million and got the best recruiting class of all time. And everybody believes it. It's, it's right. not true. Um, but let's say that collectives are paying quarterbacks a million and they're, they're putting 15 million together for a class. And then all of a sudden, and it's just for one sport, right? And we're in an era where we're celebrating Title IX right now and the diversity across sports. And all of a sudden, one sport is getting donor money to build the best recruiting class of all time. And then that team is in a super conference with a lot of other good teams and they finish eighth. Yeah. How do those donors feel at the end of the yeah. year? Donors that could have given that same amount of money and they have a building with their name on it for their legacy now paid for a player who's 18, 20, 19 years old that didn't pan out, which is more times than not and or got hurt or whatever. And now you didn't get your championship, Donor X. How do you feel about that? Even if the athlete did a great appearance for you and your family at your daughter's wedding, whatever, how do you feel about that? And there's gonna be more of those situations than there aren't because only two teams go to the championship. Right. So that's what's so interesting about this. Now let's take a story of 
an athlete who skis at, at, in Colorado and has an idea to start a product and a company and uses NIL to make a little bit of money and seed his product and start selling it and builds an e-commerce business and gets out of college and actually starts to build a real business. What, that's, that's the beautiful part about NIL, right? right. And, and in between, there's other, other great stories. Paolo Bancaro made more than a million dollars and it was all widely publicized that he made seven figures in NIL. But you know what else he did? He turned down more than he took because he kept the main thing, the main thing and worked on his game to become the number one pick. Right. You know, there's all these stories out there that I think are really interesting and they're not just the pay for play quarterback getting $8 million. So that's, I've always said NIL is great because it gets athletes to work a muscle that helps them think about life after sports, think about using the stage they're on now to set the stage for the rest of their lives. And I'm going to, I'm never going to stop saying that because that is the best part of NIL. All right. That's 25 minutes of NIL talk. I think that's <laughs> enough for one day. <laughs> yeah. That is influencer CEO, Jim Caval here with Adam Gorney for the Respect My Decision podcast.